Thank you, Carolyn. What a blessing. Uh, <coughs> this is one of those passages we turn to at Christmas time, isn't it? In the Old Testament. I like the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is written um, before the fall of Israel, when things were getting rough. And at this time, Ahaz, the king of Judah, is being addressed by God. And he's, he's pro God promised that, that he would defeat the kings from the north who are going to attack and uh, who threaten the kingdom. And, and Ahaz is now asked... Um, to test God and see if his word is true. And our first temptation when we're asked something like that is say, well, of course I can test God. We often do it, don't we? Well, God, if you're really real. I mean, how many of us have been in that boat, right? I mean, we're, we're, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's not lie to ourselves. We've been in that boat. Well, Ahaz, however, it becomes apparent that that Ahaz is the one being tested. He's test God. Well, he knows he's not supposed to test God. And, as, and so he says, well, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to refuse to put the Lord of oh my God to test. And, and God says, well, you know what? Because of this, I'm going to reveal to you a sign. A sign that uh, an alma, uh, a, uh, in the, the NIV virgin, uh, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. And um, before the child uh, knows how to refuse good or evil, uh, to choose to refuse good and choose and and choose good, uh, these uh, two threatening kings will be destroyed. So that means very early in the, the place, the ki these, this kid is going to be the, these kings are going to be destroyed. And God promises to, uh, God's promise will be fulfilled be, that these kings are going to be destroyed. And, and, um, and there remains a downside, however, in this as well, that the Lord will bring upon you, and quote, I'm quoting, you and your people and upon your father's house, such as the days that have not seen since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, the, king, uh, the kings of Ahab. Um, uh, Assyria. So in other words, um, this sign that's coming can be interpreted as very good news. And it's going to be replaced by even worse news. That the, uh, the, the worst invader of the Assyrians are going to come down. And, and so it's a great sign of hope at this time in, in the book of Isaiah. Um, but it's also, being, it's also during a time of destruction. And we will know that we do know, we read our history books, um, that Israel will fall to the Assyrians and uh, taken into the Babylonian captivity. Um, but let's pause. Let's talk, take a look at that word Alma. Um, Alma, uh, if you'll go to the slide that looks like uh, I got Hebrew writing on it, that'd be great. That's perfect. Alma. Um, Alma is, is, is the word in the Hebrew for both a virgin, a virgin, someone who has not had sex yet, as well as a young maiden a, uh, or a young woman. Um, so in your English translation, some of you are reading, you're reading through Isaiah, it's going to say virgin, ESV, uh, New American Standard, Holman, NIV, 
CSV, they're all going to say this. Well, others are going to say something like young woman because it means both. And uh, in the Hebrew, there are, are words that, um, this word is actually curious. As we read through it, we're like, why did he use the word Alma here? Because there are other words he could have used. Like, if you wanted to denote, denote virginity, someone who has not had sex, there's actually another word that he could have used. It's, it's uh, um, betalom, betala, um, which is uh, a word that, that specifically means someone who has not had sex yet. So he could have used that. So, well, he, but there's another word that they could have used that means young woman. If you wanted to be clear, so, well, this is, you could use the word isha. That's a, you know. And so we have this word that kind of has both meanings. Betula, uh, 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 why not use that? That is clear. Or why not use the word isha? That's clear. Why not? Why Alma? And I think what God is doing through the, the prophets who wrote this passage is he's being unclear on purpose. Mm. See, we don't like that. Our society, we like very clear, concrete language. That's the way we have become, um, especially after the scientific revolution. We, we like clear, country, even though we use words that aren't clear in country all the time. We just don't like it in our writings. We like, we use it all the time. I mean, how many times have you guys said things that were like, I'm not sure what you mean there? In fact, when I'm talking to most of you, I say define your words because we need to make sure we're on the same page because words are different. Uh, I think a lot of arguments we have are because we're using the same words differently. And so we have to confine the context and we have to define these things. But see, he's using this word because in the Bible, we have this curious thing that we don't often, we don't, we, I don't, we don't like this. It has a immediate meaning and then a longer meaning, a further out meaning. And we have trouble with that. Well, it means this. Well, yes. But it means this. Well, yes. We don't like that it could be both. And see, multiple fulfillment in this prophecy. See, as we read the Bible, it's, it's to tell us that, yes, for Isaiah's time, this passage was very much for them. They got immediate response out of this. It wasn't just some strange thing that was going to happen in the future. They were immediately for them and there now. And, uh, and we see this throughout the scriptures. For example, in Luke 21, 5 through 9. Um, he predicts the temple destruction in AD 70. But he's also predicting the temple's destruction at the end of the age. Here, in Isaiah, he's speaking that a child will come to a young woman, and before that, that child is old enough to choose right and wrong, those people from the north are going to be destroyed. Probably the king Hezekiah or maybe Malashalahazbad, which is one of, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's one of Isaiah's kids. Um, 
It's not a good name, by the way. Malashala Hasbad. You can um, quick loot, fast plunder. Um, and so we have these, like it was, so we have this very vivid portrayal that uh, he sees that the Lord is going to be, that, that Lord is going to stop these people from attacking and destroying them before the, uh, the Assyrians swarm over the land. But he's also made, made it clear that it's the Assyrians are going to come and going to um, be a hired razor, it says. That's what the word, and to us are like, well, what does that mean? Um, that means they're going to shave the last whiskers of dignity because the beard was a sign of dignity at that time period. Uh, some of you are still rocking it. And you're like, yeah. I'm like, um, and so you have that beard. It says that the Syrians are going to be, they're going to shave the beard of dignity off of the, the, the Judeans' head, uh, faces. They're going to take all the, the dignity out of them. And so, um, so, you know, yeah, this beard that symbolizes masculinity and dignity. And, and it says there's going to be no greater humiliation. And in many cultures, even today, there's no greater humility than having your beard shaven. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm not a masculine person. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, but to have it shaved by the conquering enemy. And so it's, um, so he says, they are going to come, the Syrians are going to come. So we have this, this fulfillment that's going to happen. It's immediate. It's right then and there. But we also have another fulfillment that's coming with this passage. And we see that claimed in Matthew, the book of Matthew um, uh, 12, 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. See, they're claiming this, the ultimate, f- Matthew is claiming the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. Not that it wasn't important for the people of Isaiah's time, but the ultimate fulfillment of this is with Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ who's, who's come who, um, who, who, is, who, is, who, is, who has come to, to be the ultimate God with us. The ultimate one where we can say, this is truly God with us. And it's through Jesus Christ that we know that we have eternal salvation. But not just eternal salvation, a life now to live. But just like with Shalahazbad or King Hezekiah, uh, whoever this, this, this kid was at the time, um, who brought, like, guess this is hope, but there's also a, a thing that, that, um, that we have to beware of. This, that almost seems worse. This, this, and God gave us uh, a life to come, but he also says that there's a terrible idea that unrepentance leads to a, a time without God, that there's a time of judgment, a time of, of reckoning, and we'll see that, and that, that's, that's, that's that, that end reckoning judgment, which a lot of people are like, well, I'm ready for the reckoning, I'm ready for the day of the Lord, and we're like, that's something we should actually be like maybe we should push that off a little further. Because <laughs> we're, uh, we're ready to go be with Jesus wherever that is. 
But how many people are not? How many people are really not? You say, well, I love them, but I'm, I'm good. Let's not worry about them, right? I mean, every time we say, God, come take us now, I'm ready. Aren't you saying that I don't care about everyone else who isn't? I mean, that's really what you're saying. Maybe we should push it off a little while longer so that they can get ready. We know there's going to be a time that whatever you believe the end, age, end of the age is going to look like, we know that the Revelation promises there will be a, a new heaven and a new earth and a time without suffering and, and all this wonderful stuff that we're looking forward to. But there's also that sense that there's judgment And so Jesus came with a great sense of hope. And he's a hope for those who believe. And so we celebrate at the time of Christmas. We celebrate. And right now in churches, uh, you know, Christmas Eve service is the number one service that non-Christians attend. That's statistically true across the United States and Europe. They tend, even they, they tend because they're, they want a, the sense of, of tradition, sense of, but they're not ready. We celebrate, but for those who don't believe, there's a sense of judgment. This is a judgment for those who do believe. We just know that Jesus Christ is going to stand in our way and as their intercessor. He says, I'm sitting at the right hand of God, intercessing on your behalf. And says, so, so there's... There's a sense that whatever you believe hell looks like or Gehenna or Shalom, uh, the, the, the grave, we know that it's separation from God. It's outside of that paradiso, that paradise that's coming. And so we have this great joy in the Old Testament and we're looking forward to the coming of Christ. That's why we celebrate on Christmas, right? But it should also be a call. That we need to live a life not just at Christmas time that tells people about Jesus. But all year round. It says Jesus is worth something worth living for. Jesus is worth changing your life for. Because that's the best Bible you people will ever, some of you are the Bible, only Bible some people will ever read. Even though we're in the United States and we have tons of Bibles and most families have one sitting on the shelf somewhere. But you're the Bible that they're going to read. They're going to watch you. So it should remind us that, hey, yes, we're going to celebrate, and we should celebrate, and we should be happy that we've, you know, because this is the time we've chosen to celebrate Jesus' birth. Uh, we can get into the how that, you know, yes, we know he wasn't born on December 23rd, uh, Christmas Eve. We know that. But it's, it's the time we've chosen to celebrate it. And we say, well, of course, it's, it's great that we celebrate, and it's wonderful. And we're so excited because Jesus Christ has brought life to the world. I've come that you may have life and life to its fullest, right? But it's also a warning 
of judgment yet to come. And what a blessing that is, that we have the opportunity. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. Because we know that after the judgment, there's going to be something better. We do know that. But we, if we say we love our neighbor, we should be living a life that says, hey, Jesus is worth living. Not just at Christmas time, but all year round. So as we think about our next steps, we think about um, we, 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 we pause and we say, you know, as we look forward to this Christmas, we, we can, you know, we, we say, is Jesus the Lord of our lives? And by Lord of our lives, I mean, yes, we're, we're quick to say, well, I need, some of, you, some of us are quick to say, I need a savior, you know, cross the hell line, I don't want to be in that lap pile. But is he actually Lord of our lives? Which means is he actually the one that's, that's saying, you know what, this is how we're to live our life. Because it's not about our happiness. Though I think that, you know, joy comes from Christ. But it's not about our happiness. It's not about, well, why did God do this to me if we suffer? Because it's not about you. He's the Lord of our lives. And if he's going to be Lord of our lives, then our lives have to be devoted to him. See, we don't have that idea of lordship anymore because we have things like presidents and we're like definitely not lord. They're, de- they're definitely like, we'll vote them out next time. Um, uh, whichever side of the fight it's on, you'll be like, we're going to keep him or we're going to vote him out. We're definitely not going to, nothing stays the same. But lordship is something that doesn't change. It's something that becomes like he's part of our lives. And it's not about rules and regulations. It's about saying, I'm going to live a life that is to its fullest, to its most abundantness. Which he said, this, if you follow this path, this is how you get there. And that's what it's about, right? If you follow this path. Because Jesus isn't the decision we make. It's a life we live. I grew up m- among the Navajos. And so when someone accepts Jesus and decides to become a Christian, they, they don't say, oh, he became a Christian. They say he's taking the Jesus way. He's walking the Jesus way. Because all of their life is a way. It's a path. And I really began to like that because it's, it talks about how we should actually live our lives. It's not about a decision we make. It's about a path we walk. So let's choose the Jesus way this year as we celebrate and join and call others to to join the Jesus way, the Jesus path as we walk. Father God, Lord, we praise you. We, th- we are so happy that you came to earth and, you, you, uh, and, and died for us. What a blessing that is. Oh, we worship you, Father. Uh, blessed by the, the blood of, the, of, of Jesus through the, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we, we, we turn our faces to you. But Lord, help us to take serious that, that, that judgment is coming. 
Help us take seriously that there is a path that we must walk. As we walk your path, help us to walk the life that you've called us to. Forsaking other paths we could take, and we know there are lots of paths we could take, but help us to forsake those. Not get caught up in legalism or, 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 or this or that, but the path that you have laid out for us to walk in your way, your worship, and your might. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you, Bernice. What a blessing. All right. Well, Isaiah, when I said we're starting a Christmas service, some of you thought, I know you're going to Isaiah. Some of you thought, why are you in Isaiah? That is not the passage where we usually turn to. Is a... Isaiah... Uh, chapter, 17, uh, chapter 7, this is where one of those famous passages in the scriptures come through. We're going to get to that in a minute. But in this passage, it's, I, it's written during a time in Israel's history where Israel is going to go through some time of destruction. They're going to go through some hardships. People are coming in from all over around them. And now Ahaz... Is one of those kings that, of the Judah at the time, and he's, he's being addressed by God. And God promises that he will defeat the kings from the north that are going to uh, threaten his kingdom. Now, uh, God asks Ahaz to test God and see if his word is true. Now, Ahaz is, I'm sure, tempted at this point. I mean, how many of us are tempted to test God? Now, the Bible also in another passage says, don't test your God. It says, don't put the word of your Lord to test. Jesus even says, don't test God. And when he's fighting in, uh, in the, the garden, I mean, in the desert, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's in wandering. He says, I'm not going to put my Lord to test. Because what, who's being really tested here is not God. It's Ahaz. Ahaz is being tested here. And so, as he passes this test, God sends Isaiah to speak a word of prophecy to him. He says, the sign of this will be a virgin, an Alma, that's the word in Hebrew. Alma shall conceive and bear a son, and she will name him God with us. And before the child knows right from wrong... The two threats of the kings that are threatening right now, they're going to be destroyed. But he also says there's going to be another king, another nation that's going to rise up. That's the Assyrians. And you're going to want me to destroy these other two kings too. But the Assyrians, I'm not going to turn away. They're going to be 
and come, and, and they're going to come, and, and it's going to be uh, upon you and your people, just like the time of Ephraim when it departed Judah. They're going to be this, this downside, this time of judgment, when they're going to be invaded by the Assyrians. And he says that, um, that, uh, that, that, that he's going to bring these Assyrians in and, and they're going to be a razor for him. They're going to cut the, the beard off your face. Some of you are still sporting the, the dignified beard. Uh, in, in this time period, the beard was a symbol of masculinity, and, uh, and there was no greater shame than having another nation come in and shave it off. Uh, but he says, I'm going to send Assyrians in, and they're going to destroy your beard. They're going to cut off that beard off of you. And uh, so we got this, we got this symbol in here that there's going to be this great hope that these, this, these two Kings that you're worried about, don't worry about them. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken care of. But there's this even greater judgment that's coming. And you're going to have to go through that one to get to the other side. So there's hope and in this time of destruction. Now we, we have this, this passage, right? And it says in the, this, this, in this passage, it says there's going to be a uh, a virgin. That's going to be the sign. And the word Alma is used there. Now, many of your modern English translations, they're going to use the word virgin for that. ESV, New American Standard, NIV, Holman, etc. Um, now, some of your other translations, they're going to use the word young woman. And you're like, well, which one is it? The answer is Yes. Um, the word Alma means both. Young woman, young maiden, maiden, and virgin. It, it, it means both. And I don't know why Isaiah chose to use such a, um, a word that could mean both. Because in, in Hebrew, if you, said, you wanted to say a virgin, someone who had not had sex, there's actually a better word for that. Betula. If you wanted to say young woman, there's actually another word for that, isha. But yet he chooses to use the word that could be both. And so it's, it's one of those things that are like, what in the context is he doing here? Why doesn't he use a word that actually is, because we in our society, we like concretes, don't we? We don't like the idea that, yes, it could be both. We don't like that. In our age of scientific uh, rationality, we're like, it's this or it's this. It's not yes. That's something we struggle with. But the Bible's full of things like that. And so what I think what he is doing here is he's using a word that could mean both because it's, yes, it's relevant to them right now. It's going to be a young woman. But... It's also going to be in the future. See, when we read the Bible, it's easy for us to say, well, it was for them there or it's for us now, but we don't like the idea of it being for both. We don't like that. We don't like the idea that, okay, well, it either meant 
this is for them there and they wrote it for them or it's for us in the future and or it's we don't like the idea that yeah actually it's it's both we don't like that but the bible's full of examples of this where where it's um there was written for the people then and there and it was written for us And so, you know, for another example of this is Luke 21, 5 through 9, where uh, Jesus predicts the temple destruction in AD 70, but he also predicts the end of the age at the same time. It was speaking to the people of Isaiah's time right then and there. A child is going to come and it's going to stop the people, and, and before he's old enough to make right or wrong choices, those two kings are going to be stopped. It's either Hezekiah or Malashalahasbad. That's a fun name, isn't it? Malashalahasbad. Uh, that's one of Isaiah's kids. Um, yeah. Uh, Malashalahasbad. Now, so it's either Hezekiah or Malashalahasbad. Before this person is old enough to, to make those right choices, it's going to be destroyed. But, and so we have this, this very clear, clear picture that Isaiah has foreseen that the Lord's fingers are going to stop. And he's going to stop the, uh, these two. And, but he also this very clear picture that the Assyrians are going to swarm over them at the same time. But it's also a, a time of further prophecy. Matthew 1, 28 takes the same passage that was for the people of Isaiah's time. And he uses that passage. He's not making this up from somewhere else. He's taking it from uh, Isaiah. And he says, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He's claiming, Matthew is claiming that that passage, the ultimate fulfillment of it. Yes, it was for the people of Isaiah, but the ultimate fulfillment of it is in Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of this passage. It's not that it wasn't useful for the people in Isaiah's times, but the ultimate f- fulfillment of it is in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but we also see in Jesus Christ the positives and the negatives, just like we see in Isaiah. With the passage of Isaiah, the wonderful blessing. You know, we've chosen to celebrate Christmas for a reason. It's a blessing of hope, of future, of life. Jesus Christ says, "I came to give you life to its fullest." What beautiful is that? We love that hope. And for those of us who have chosen to walk the path of of Jesus. There's hope there. There's a life. And, we, and we, we know it. We So there's a reason for us to celebrate. There's a reason why we love Christmas so much. You know, outside of the buying of the gifts and the, uh, I know some of you kids and teenagers in the back and, and some of you guys online, all you're looking forward to is those gifts that you're going to get, um, which is exciting, especially when you don't have your own money. When you get older, they mean less because you have your own money, right? <laughs> Some of us, anyways. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, we, we but, uh, but there's but Christmas, the Christ Mass, we celebrate it because of Jesus Christ. And we have this hope in there. He brings the joy for those who are in it. But we also have to admit that there's a sense of sorrow for those who are not found in him. Those who have rejected him. There's a sense of separation. There's a sense of, of if Jesus came to give life, then those who are not found in him are on a path of destruction. We have the joy of saying, I'm ready for you, Jesus. You know, some of us are waiting for that, that moment where he takes us away and we're like, yes. Some of you are like, come now, I'm ready. But every time we're saying, come now, I'm ready, we're also saying everyone who's not ready, I don't really care about them. How does that make us feel? I mean, seriously, we're saying, you who are not ready, you who are found in the path of destruction, I don't really care about you. I'm good. So when we honestly pray, come now, Christ, I'm ready, we're also saying everyone who's not ready, oh well, you had your chance. Maybe we should be saying, you know what, this time of judgment that's coming, let's push it off a little longer. I mean, we talk about it being a time of judgment. We know that Jesus Christ has come and is going to intercede on our behalf. That's what what it says, uh, that he's in the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. That means when the time of judgment comes, he takes our place. But that also means that if you're not in Christ, that he's not going to take your place. And there's going to be whatever you think hell looks like. I'm sure it's not that. But uh, we don't, there's no way for us to know what hell looks like, grave looks like, separation. Whatever it is, the Bible is very clear. It's separation from God, separation from the life of God. And whatever that looks like, if we don't have, if we're not in Christ, that's what we're asking. If we're saying, I'm done with them, I don't care about, I'm ready for me, then we're saying the rest of them can just live separation from Christ. Wow. That sounds kind of heartless, doesn't it? Maybe we should say, let's God put it off a little further. Put it off a little farther so more can come and be ready. So more can come and accept you. Because Jesus is coming again. He came and he is coming again. So there's an ultimate reality that Jesus Christ was born and he's also coming in. We're waiting for that time, Revelation 20 and 21, right? For that new heaven and the new earth. We're waiting on that. And Jesus uh, comes to give us light. Jesus answered the call found in, in Isaiah. Jesus was the one who fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament. He was the one who came to fulfill the Old Testament. And he came to do that so that we can have that life, right? Life. What a glorious thing is that we live in life. You know, I grew up around the Native Americans, Navajo and Zuni, being up in New Mexico. 
And I love the way they, 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 they say something. They, instead of you accepting Christ like it's a decision you make once and you're done, which I have issues with, they say that person's walking the Jesus path, the Jesus way. Because all of their life, the way they think, all of life is about a way you walk. And I think maybe we need to take more of that access. It's not about a decision you've made. It's about a path you're walking. It's not about when you get there. It's about are you walking the path that leads to life? That path has ups and downs hardships and mountain peaks and times of rest and times of work. But it's about walking that path. And if we're going to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're often quick to say, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Savior. Like, you know, like I cross this line and then as long as I'm not in the hell line, right? But he has to be our Lord too. He has to be our Lord, which means we're going to walk the path that he has laid out for us, which means sometimes we have to do away with what we personally want. And say, you know what, what my personal desires is this, but he's laid out a path that leads to light. And he says, if you don't want to follow that path, that's your choice, but I'm going to lead you down a path that leads to light. And it's not about being legalistic. It's not about making the, praying a certain prayer. It's not about, but walking the path. It's where you are Lord. We don't really have the idea of lordship in our minds anymore. We have presidents, you know, that we'll vote out next time or, or I mean, eight years max, right? We've got term limits. I mean, whether, no matter what side you're on, it's going to change. That's the way the United States works. We don't have the idea of lordship. We don't have the idea that a lord is someone that we follow for life. We don't have that idea in our mindset. So we have, often have trouble. We say, I make this decision. I make that decision. But the Lord is something that we say, it's, it's the path I'm going to follow for the rest of my life, which is a lot more difficult than saying I'm going to follow someone for eight years or I'm going to put up with this person. I don't know what side you're on. I'm going to... It's about being in life and say, I'm going to follow this person for the rest of my life. I'm going to walk that path. I'm going to walk that path. And so it's, a, it's not, so, so youth in the back, hear me. So, uh, for, so uh, people online, hear me. It's not about that decision you made when you were nine. It's about, are you walking that path now? And so we think about our next step. It, it has to be, okay, God has sent the sign. His son became flesh, born of a virgin. Ultimate manifestation of this. And he has come to defeat sin and death. But we have to be living the life that invites other people in. We have to be living the life. You know, you're the only Bible some people will ever read. 
You know, most families in the United States have a Bible somewhere. Um, but for the reality is, you're the Bible they're going to read. And so we have to be calling them in to worship God. Not just to make a decision, but to worship God with us. You know, one of my favorite Hebrew words, you probably know it. It's called hallelujah. You've probably heard that one, right? We sing the song, we... Hallelujah. That's one of my favorite Hebrew words. Why is it one of my favorite Hebrew words? Because it literally means come worship God with me. Come praise God with me. That's what it means. Come praise God with me. And so it's not just about singing the song, come praise God with me. It's about am I living the life that says come praise God with me. So as I walk through life, come praise God with me. Let's walk together life. Come praise God with me. So no matter what, what would, you know, so, so, so where we're at in our decisions, we say, well, come praise God with me. How beautiful is that? Come praise God with me. That's why it's such a popular word. We, we just don't know that, right? Hallelujah. Come praise God with me. That's what we think about our next steps. Some of you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're at that point in your life where you've not made that, that commitment to him. You say, I'm still living after a deity of my own making, myself, a different God that's out. We don't call them gods anymore. We call them things like lust or, or, or greed or sex or, or money. But in the ancient world, they would have been gods. So the same idea is there. I'm going to follow after this. This is what my identity is. I'm going to follow after that. This is my identity. is. I'm going to worship that God. And so some of you might have been following after these false gods. You say, they're not bringing me a path that leads to life or maybe a temporary life. And so I may be temporarily caught up in these things. And so I need to follow Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And some of you are like, well, I've done that. I was nine when I did it. Now I'm no comment. Um... The question then becomes, is am I living the life that says hallelujah? And and all of us, at some point in our lives, we have to do a check, right? Make sure that we're like, you know what, this area of my life, I've let it get a little out there. And God's like, bring it back to me. Bring it back. You're not on the path to life. God's like, bring it back. So we have to do those checks. And as we get ready through this, this, this Christmas, sir, uh, Christmas time of year, do you know Christmas Eve service in the United States and in Europe is the number one service where non-Christians attend? Because they're seeking tradition, they're seeking uh, a sense of belonging, they're seeking Christ. They don't know it, but they're seeking Christ. And so as we think about this Christmas year, it's time that we say now, Christmas Eve, and then for the next year, I'm going to live a life that says hallelujah. It says hallelujah. So that you come in and you worship God with me. How beautiful is that? <clears throat> that we worship Jesus Christ who came and died for us to give us that path of ultimate life. And our temptation is to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to worship something else, or I'm just going to go to church. We've been on that quite a bit. I don't like the term go to church, because we are the church. But we have to say, I'm going to follow after Christ. So as we, we go, as we, we make our next steps, it's, am I leading a life that cries hallelujah?
Father God, right now I praise you, Lord. I pray that you would lead us down the life of hallelujah. We want to we bring people in to worship you this Christmas season and beyond. We want to not just bring people to a building, but to invite them to be part of your church, your life, to live life to its wholeness, to its fullness. <coughs> we love you, we worship you, and we're so grateful that you love us enough to die for us. Lord, we celebrate you this, this Christmas time, and we hallelujah. So we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.